This morning, I want to invite you to open your Bibles, if you would, to John's Gospel, chapter 6. That will be our primary text of the morning, though I'm not going to do an exegetical study. I will be referring to it at the start and at the close, so if you'll keep it open to John 6. We're going to look at a passage there that's been often uh, frowned upon, not just by lost people, but by Christians who say, goodness, that sounds pretty strong. Well, it's because it is strong. Sometimes we so we make words so poetically soft, we think that they're acceptable, but what Jesus came to do was radical. And so what we want to think about this morning is the Lord's Supper, but the very basic part of the Lord's Supper is bread and juice or wine. I don't know how many times you've taken the Lord's Supper. Many of you, like me, your hair is white, so I suspect many of you came to know Christ when you were a child, and if so, you've had the Lord's Supper 50 years worth or 60 years worth. How many times do you reckon? Some of you say, well, I grew up in church where we did it every week. Well, then you had it 50 times in a year. Some of you say, well, I, we did the Lord's Supper once a month. Well, then you had it 12 times a year. We do it four times a year. So over 30 years, we've done it at least 120 times. How many times have you taken that bread? How many times have you taken of the cup of the Lord? When, when you do that, what do you think about You say, well, it depends on the time, absolutely. Depending on the message or the song or what's happened that week or some new encounter with Christ, we may think of a different aspect of his grace or his mercy, his forgiveness, his deliverance, his power, his indwelling. We may think of his sacrifice. We may think in blood, of blood in a new sense if we've been through a horrible accident and needed transfusions of blood to live. So whatever we think about, you'd say, well, it's hard to say what I think about because every time it's different, and that's absolutely true. But I dare say, although we've had the Lord's Supper many times, I don't know that I've ever preached on exactly what I'm going to preach on this morning, and it's really not a sermon as much as it is a teachable moment. I don't know that I've ever done an entire Lord's Supper service just on bread and just on the cup, but that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Because I was amazed as I went back and began to look at those two elements, the central thread through Scripture that's true of both and really through history. I want you to look with me first at John chapter 6, and let's see what Jesus had to say. He was, with, he was speaking of himself with his disciples, and he was explaining to those that were not disciples really what it meant to be one of his. Now as you read this with me, John chapter 6, some of you are going to say, oh my... Well, just hold your oh my, we're going to get into the middle of it, and hopefully by the end you'll say, praise God, all right? Here we go, John chapter 6, beginning in verse 35. I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But as I told you, you've seen me, and yet you do not believe. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. I've come down from the Father, from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. Look at verse 47. I assure you, anyone who believes has eternal life, and he says it a second time, I am the bread of life. Look at verse 53. So Jesus said to them, I assure you, now hold on. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you do not have life in yourselves. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. I will raise him up on the last day. Because my flesh is real food, my blood is real drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood lives in me and I in him. 
And just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. Eat my flesh, Jesus said. Drink my blood. In the first century, we were considered to be cannibals. Because there were those who heard that verse and heard Christians say that verse, and they said, those people get behind closed doors and they're eating flesh. They're drinking human blood. We were somewhere between vampires and weirdos. But the truth is, that's the words of Jesus. So it's not like, preacher, why didn't you pick pick a different illustration? Because I wanted you to hear what Jesus said. We so often talk about bread, but we don't stop to think about what are we really holding in our hand as a symbol, as the bread symbolizes. The flesh of the body of Jesus Christ. When we hold in a moment that cup, what are we thinking about? That's really like a, a little bit of blood in a cup. That's the symbol, and it's the blood of Jesus. You see, sometimes we get so wrapped up in the symbol that it doesn't have the impact. But if I said to you today, we're going to go have a flesh, a flesh buffet, you'd say, I don't think so. But you will. Some of you are going to eat the flesh of a cow, flesh of a pig, flesh of a fish, flesh of a chicken. You don't even flinch. But when Jesus said, I want you to eat my flesh, we're, re- we're repulsed. I want you to drink my blood. And we say, don't, don't use that analogy, preacher. But that's what he said. Consider the meaning of bread throughout history. It's universally known. I think it's interesting. Jesus said, I am the bread of life because bread is the foundation in almost every culture of life. I don't care where you've traveled and you've allowed me to go several places I never thought I'd see. But everywhere I go, they have some kind of bread. Now, some of it you're not wild about, but they have it. And at Italy, I didn't care for it because they get it and put it under their arm and walk home with it. I don't want to go home with them. I've been in places in the jungle, in the villages, where they cook a little piece of like a tortilla on an open fire, and their hands have been handling everything in the world, and as soon as they take it off, they hand it to you, and you say, God, I'll swallow it if you'll keep it down. You, you know what I'm saying. Everywhere I've gone, there's bread. Bread's made of very simple ingredients. It's easy to make and easy for all to eat. The poor folks have bread, the rich folks have bread. Although the rich folks sometimes have more variants of bread, we can buy bread that has different kinds of grains and different levels of wheat or different levels of some other something we like in it, including cheese or onions or different things. We can have bread that's baked or ba- bread that's fried or bre- if you eat a bagel, bread that's boiled. If you, ha- you can have, get bread in a loaf, you can get bread in a roll, a biscuit, pastry, a sandwich, or a tortilla, and they're all bread. It's interesting that when we think of bread, we have to go back and say, what's the element of bread? Primarily, it's wheat. If you've ever done a study of Egypt in its ancient days, even the wheat was a symbol of eternal life. In many of those gods' pictures where they have the pictures of gods painted on the walls in a tomb, you'll see a picture of the god of Osiris or Isis, uh, 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 um, the other one. <laughs> Easy for me to say. But anyway, when you see that picture, you'll see beside them a picture of soil with a shoot of wheat. that can come up twofold. First of all, they believe that that's the sign of our promise that, that one of our own will someday have a second life, a life after life, even in Egypt. But they believe the stalk of life, the very germ of life was wheat. And so if you can have wheat in the afterlife, you're going to make it. You're going to live. And so they would often put grains of wheat in a tomb. To say, we want to give you your first amount of wheat, so on the other side, 
You'll have something to plant. Wheat was a symbol of eternal life. It's seen as that which is rising from the earth, from the dead. You plant, even Jesus said, unless a grain falls in the ground and dies, it cannot live again. So it's a picture of eternal life. The Bible contains many references to the use of bread. Do you know, do you remember, do you remember the first time the scripture mentions bread and wine? Do you remember? That's right, Genesis 14, excellent. Genesis 14, you remember who it's about? Melchizedek, excellent class, Melchizedek. Because it says Abraham had defeated four kings and the king of Sodom, who was a leader of a coalition of five kings, had whipped four kings. Abraham had helped defeat the kings. And so when he went out, the king of Sodom came to meet him and with him a man called Melchizedek. Now some of you say, I don't know who that is. Well, look with me. Keep your finger in John 6. Turn to Hebrews 7 just a minute because I think it's interesting. We're at the Lord's table but when we see Abraham, we see one who was like unto the Son of Man, the Bible says, who came to bring bread and wine to Abraham for his victory in battle as early as Genesis 14. Look in Hebrews 7, Hebrews 7 at the description of who this priest was that came out to meet Abraham and offered him the elements we use in the Lord's Supper. Hebrews 7, beginning in verse 1. By the way, Melchizedek, Mel means, uh, Mele means king of, kids, uh, Sidkenu or Sidik means righteousness. So here comes the one who's the king of righteousness, bringing bread and wine to Abraham, the father, patriarch of the Jews. Hebrews 7, 1, this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, Hebrews 7, 1. He met Abraham and blessed him as he returned from defeating the kings. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. By the way, tithing predates the law. Occasionally I'll preach on tithing. Somebody says, that's law. Well, the law hadn't been given days Abraham. That came later with Moses. Before there was ever law, there was a sense of I owe, I owe an offering of a tithe. It says when, when he came, Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. His name means king of righteousness. Melchizedek means king of righteousness. He's called the king of Salem, meaning king of peace. Now look at the symbolism of Melchizedek and Jesus. Instead of Melchizedek, he is without father, mother, or genealogy. What does that mean? Not necessarily supernaturally born, but what he's saying is we have no knowledge of who he was. Where did he come from? Who was his daddy? Where was he reared? How did he get his training? How did he know there was one God? So it says, he says, a man who's without father, mother, genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, remaining a priest forever. So the first mention of these elements is as early as Genesis 14 in the days of Abraham with a mystical priest named Melchizedek. We know in the tabernacle, there was to be a table called the table of showbread. It literally means the table in the face of God. The table was tiny. It was three feet long, 18 inches wide, and two, two feet and three inches tall. Three feet long, that's a yardstick. 18 inches wide and two feet, three inches tall. So it's right on the ground. It, was to hold, it, it had a, a marvelous uh, border around it, and, and it held 12 loaves of the 12 tribes of Israel. It was to be replaced every Sabbath with fresh loaves representing each of the tribes who were before God's presence. The loaf represented a loaf from our tribe that says we want to be in the face, in the very face and presence of God. It was called the bread of presence. We want to be in the presence of God. And it said every Sabbath the priests are to take that bread cooked with fine flour and they're to eat it with wine in the holy place because it's holy bread. Priest 
were to eat it inside the tabernacle on the Sabbath, and then that bread would be replaced with fresh bread to be there for the remaining week before God's presence. Hmm. Bread was found also in Bethlehem. Uh, bread was found in the wilderness, as you know, when Jesus, when the disciple, <laughs> when the children of Israel were traveling in Egypt, the Bible says they woke up one morning and manna was on the ground. You know what manna means? Exactly. What is it? When the children of Israel saw that, said, Moses, what is it? He said, that's right. <laughs> I don't know either. I've never seen it before. But God, for 40 years, sent manna in the wilderness. Do you remember where, where God also provided the place of Jesus' birth? Bethlehem. Beth meaning house of. Lehem meaning bread. It was Jesus who was tempted by, Satan 40, tempted by Satan for 40 days. And during that time, Satan said, you see these stones? That sure would make good bread. You don't have to go hungry. Ain't nobody out here except God and me. But when you're the son of God, the one you hate is Satan. And when the one you love is the father. And he said, I'm not going to have bread with you because I'm going to have bread with my disciples, but not you. Amazing, amazing how bread was present in the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus didn't just give them fish. He gave them bread. At the Lord's Supper, we take this bread. The Bible says, this bread is my body. When you eat this, it's in remembrance of me. And on the road to Emmaus, I've always thought it interesting. Following the resurrection, Jesus walked 11 miles with those men, of, uh, those travelers from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And the Bible says they didn't recognize him the whole time he's walking with them. They didn't recognize his sermon, though he took from Genesis till, till the end of Malachi, unveiling the scriptures about the Son of Man. But it says when he entered the house and he broke bread. I wonder how many times they had seen him break the bread. These were intimate disciples. I don't know all about them, but I know they were there often enough that when they saw Jesus and the way he broke the bread and blessed it, they said, that's, that's Jesus, and suddenly disappeared from their midst, and they ran back to Jerusalem to say, we've seen him. Today we come to the Lord's Supper. Because of the efficiency of smaller pieces of bread and a large crowd, we don't give you a unleavened matzah and say now break this and pass it down the road for several reasons one you'd have crumbs all over you and everybody else but secondly after about six or seven people handled it the person on the end say I don't think I want to do this today so we just relegate it to a little tiny square not because we're not aware that Jesus had a loaf of unleavened bread. Now, it wasn't bread like you're going to break it at lunch. It was leavened. This was flat like a, like a Ritz cracker, saltine cracker. And so when you talk about the bread, the Lord's Supper, unleavened bread is something cracked like a cracker, and you just hand a little bit to each other. That's what this wafer is, just a little piece of unleavened bread. Leaven is always a symbol of sin. To have unleavened bread meant that which is sinful, represents that which, excuse me, that which is sinless, and that's what Jesus was totally sinless. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says, when we come to the Lord's Supper, listen, we being many, listen, we being many are one bread and one body. For we're all partakers of one bread. John 6, 48, Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. When we do this in just a moment, it's not something Baptists do or Methodists do or Presbyterians do because we think it's just a cute symbol. In a moment when you take this bread, I want you in your mind to go back 2,000 years to a small upper room and just picture maybe the row you're on that's maybe about 12 people that's how many were there the night Jesus took the bread and he said this is my body when you take this bread in just a moment I want you to consider what it means the Bible says in Matthew 26 26 Jesus took the bread and he blessed it 
I would have loved to have heard the prayer of Jesus, creator of wheat, Jesus who is the eternal bread of life, Jesus who knew what this bread really was going to cost. This was not cheap bread. It's going to cost him his life to have this bread with his disciples. I wonder what he prayed in that moment. When the master held the bread, it says he blessed the bread. What is it when the blesser blesses the very bread that he created to give to his disciples? I dare say it wasn't some trite little phrase. I bet when he prayed, everybody was wide awake and listening. I wish I could have heard what Jesus did when he took that loaf of afakama, that unleavened bread, and, and he broke it, and he prayed over it, and then he distributed it. And I'd love to have heard his mouth say, gentlemen, I've often wondered what was his inflection? Which word did he really, really note? This is my body. This is my body. This is my body given for you. I wonder what he emphasized the most. I've often wondered, did Jesus have a bass voice or a baritone or a tenor? And in the quietness of that upper room, what would it have been like to hear all the celebration out the windows around you as people are laughing and enjoying the Passover with families? And that room is very somber. What was it like to hear all this going on out here and you're sitting and wanting to not miss a word? Do you think they like us sometimes when there's noise in the hall, say, like, shh, please, I wish you'd be quiet, I can't hear. I wonder what was on the men's minds as they listened to the master pray. And I wonder what was inflection when he said, this is my body which is for you, take and eat, do this, remembering me. I don't know what he said, how he said it, I just know what he said. I think it's interesting, the Bible says he did it on the night that he was betrayed. What, what have you got pressing today? You got a real important meeting this week, some of you flying out tomorrow to something that's pretty, pretty intense, you got a medical test this week's on your mind, welcome to the Lord's Supper. You know what's on Jesus' mind while he's so calm in that upper room? I'm going to be beaten tonight. I, I'm going to be up all night with men making fun of me. In the morning they're going to drive holes in my nails in my hands and my feet and create holes that are huge. I'm going to be led down the street like a common criminal. Did he mention any of that at the Lord's Supper? If you and I tomorrow were going to go through a tremendous time of physical stress, would we not say, it's really hard for me to think about this. I, I tell you, I've got the worst thing coming up tomorrow. Could we just not do this and pray? You know what Jesus said? I know what's before me. Listen to this. But I have longed to have this meal with you. I don't know what he, how he said it, I just know what he said. But it does look quickly then at the cup. You know, Jesus was a master giving us parables because it's easy for us to run a principle if we've got something to tie it to. I, I dare say we will not soon forget the parable of, of the lost coin because we can picture a lady just tearing her things apart. You, you have, and I have lost something, and you go through every drawer and every pair of pockets, uh, every pants, check your pockets, and, and you look in your car and under the seat, and you think, where did I put it? I mean, you tear everything apart until you find it, depending on its value. Well, I won't forget that that's the way Jesus said, that's the way Jesus said, when we have something of value, we'll treasure enough to search for it intensely, he compared it to eternal life. I won't forget the story of the prodigal, either one. 
I won't forget the prodigal that went far off, and I won't forget the prodigal who stayed right at home and his heart was far off. See, Jesus gave us parables so we'd always remember the truth, but he gave us tangible things to help us taste and feel and see and hear. Do you know your chances of remembering are greater if all five senses are engaged? See, if, if I just talk to you, you're not going to remember much. But if I talked to you and showed you a picture, you'd say, you know, I remember when I saw. If I talked to you and showed you a picture and gave you something to taste, you'd say, when I was seeing that picture, I was tasting what they were showing at. Now, now, every level of sensory perception I add to a lesson, the stronger the lesson is Im embedded in your soul. See, you cannot unsee what you've seen. That's why men who've been to battle many times battle PTSD, post-traumatic stress syndrome, because they're, all they can see is the killing, and when they close their eyes at night, it just comes back. They can't control They're subconscious, and they can't unsee it. I can't unsee the passion of the Christ. I, I, I saw it once, and I, I'll die happy if I never see it again. I can't unsee what they did to my master, and that was just a movie. And you see, Jesus said, if I can give you this cup, I, I want you to remember wine. They knew wine, like folks today know wine. And, and I find it interesting that when he spoke about wine, it was as a spiritual marker. Have you ever considered what Scripture says about wine? So often we don't. We just assume it's okay now. We just take it, not we, some do, take it like water and say it's, it's okay. Have you ever thought what the Bible at least warns you about? I think the warnings that are true of the Lord's Supper are there because, partially because he said, that's why I'm using wine. It's both can be an offense. The blood can be an offense or it can be a blessing. It can be a benefit or it can be a curse. Listen just real quickly. Listen to what Scripture warns us about wine. First of all, it says wine, wine can be a, become, if it's misused, become a difficulty. First of all, wine can be a snare. Ephesians 5.18 says, don't get drunk with wine. That's debauchery. Be filled with the Spirit. Proverbs 23. This is, did you know the Bible, the Bible lists a, fully, a full picture of what it's like to be drunk? Listen to this. Proverbs 23.29. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of the eyes? Those who tarry long over wine, those who go, try, try, who go to try mixed wine. Here's the admonition Solomon wrote in Proverbs 23. Don't, don't look at wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. He says, in the end, in the end it bites like a serpent. It stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things. And your heart will utter perverse things. Wine can be a snare. Secondly, wine can be a benefit. The blood of Jesus is a benefit for all who come under his blood to be washed clean of sin. The Bible says, Paul would write to Timothy, don't drink only water. Their water was bad. When we go overseas now, we don't drink the water. We take bottled water or buy bottled water because the water will kill you. Paul would write to Timothy, don't drink the water only, but use a little wine. Mix the water with a little wine. Why? Because the alcohol will kill some of the stuff that's in there that will hurt you. He said, mix it with a little wine. It's good for the stomach's sake. Wine can be offensive. Did you know that? If somebody sees you drinking wine, did you know you can cause a brother to stumble saying, and, I, and you're my teacher, you're, my, you, you, you're active in my church. And you and see, that in, in America, wine can have a moral connotation that can be 
difficult. It's true in Scripture. Listen to this. Romans 14, 21. It's not good. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Wine can be destructive. Proverbs 20, verse 1 says, Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever's led away by it is not wise. Isaiah 5, 22, Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine, valiant men in mixing strong drink. Isaiah 5, 11, Woe to those who rise early in the morning, that they may run after strong drink, who tarry late in the evening as wine inflames them. Why did Jesus use wine? Because they, that culture like ours, had seen that wine could be terribly destructive. It can be, a pro, it can be problematic. Does it have benefits? Yes. Does it be a problem? Yes. What about the blood of Jesus? Does that have benefits? Oh, my soul. Does it, have problem? Does it create problems? Sometimes some of you in this room and you're here alone. Because the blood of Jesus has divided you from your spouse. Your spouse says, I want nothing to do with that. And you say, why would you not? But you can't agree because it's divisive. We have young people next hour that come week after week and their parents don't come. But they come. Because the parents say, I don't need that. That's... You see, they've rejected the benefit and only see the discipline. I don't want that. Why, why did Jesus take wine? Because he knew full well, first of all, wine has many different aspects. But the other side is, how do you get bread and wine? Both of them have to be crushed. You, you're not going to have bread if you don't take wheat and crush it into flour. You're never going to get juice if you don't take grapes and crush them to extract all the juice and leave the pulp behind. The Bible says Jesus would go to Gethsemane and he'd be like in the place of an olive press. It was as if he was under the press of the weight of the burden of sin of all the ages of every person ever. And when that press began to push his brow, his brow was crushed to the point that the liquid that came forth was blood. He said, this is my cup. This is my cup. First Peter chapter 2 warns us about Jesus' blood. Honor, the honor for, is for you who believe, but for those who don't believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They stumble because they don't believe, uh, because they disobey the word, and they were destined to do so. Matthew 24, many will fall and betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. 1 Corinthians 1, since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know God, but was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. The Jews, they demand a sign, and the Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, listen, a stumbling block to the Jews, foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. I want you to open your Bibles real quickly to Hebrews chapter 10 because I want you to see this one. You can underline it and use it later. Hebrews chapter 10. Look at this one passage and we're going to quickly move to the Lord's Supper. Hebrews chapter 10. Look beginning in verse 19. The truth is, anytime we come to the Lord's Supper, it's because of the blessing of Jesus. Look with me in, in Hebrews chapter 10, what it says about Jesus. Hebrews 10, 19, look. Therefore, brothers and sisters, Hebrews 10, 19. 
we have confidence to enter the most holy place. Do you realize what a privilege that is? Did did you already enter in before Jesus at the start of this day? I hope so. When I prayed a few minutes ago, did you enter before Jesus and realize I really do in prayer have a chance to go into the holy of holies with Christ? You see, we are priests unto God. We get to do something that in Israel only the high priest got to do one day a year on the Day of Atonement. Only one could go behind the veil and into that place of the Holy of Holies where there was the, the, the Ark of God, the chest that contained the Ten Commandments and the manna and the budding rod of Aaron covered with a golden mercy seat with angels watching over it with their angel, with angels' wings touching to guard the mercy seat. And one day a year only the high priest could go in and sprinkle blood there for the people of Israel. But you know what? what when Jesus came he tore the veil from top to bottom that we could enter and that what it says here Hebrews 10 we can enter the holy place with confidence look what else it says how do we get in there by the blood what does the cup represent the blood of Jesus by new and living way that means what the old way was one priest once a year now because of the living way all Christians as priests unto God can enter into his presence by a new and living way open for us through the curtain. That is his body, which was, which was offered for us. And since we have a great high priest, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance of faith that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. Having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for the one who promised is faithful. Who is the one that promised? Jesus Christ, the Son of God. In just a moment, we're going to eat this bread and we're going to drink this cup, but I would warn you. Scripture says you eat it in a worthy manner. That doesn't mean sinless. None of us here are sinless. It doesn't mean that we've never done something wrong. It All of us have. It means best you know in this moment two things are true. One, I am truly a follower, believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and have demonstrated that through baptism to show I'm not ashamed. But secondly, best I know, I have prayed this morning before I eat this bread, Lord God, for those things that might be in me that are unconfessed, undealt with, harbored, clung to as sin, would you today remove them? Because I don't want to come into your presence and profess I've taken the redemption of Jesus when I'm not fully redeemed. When I eat this bread, I'm saying Jesus is in me and I'm in him and we are his children. When I eat that bread and that's not true, I'm not only lying, I'm blaspheming what he came to do. When I drink that blood, I drink that cup, I'm saying the blood of Jesus, just as this juice goes in me, the blood of Jesus has covered me. I'm today new because of the blood that was offered. And though it's a stumbling block to some and an offense to others, to me, it's the power of God unto salvation. So as I drink this cup, I drink it with the full knowledge Jesus Christ is my Lord. And all that I am and all that I have and all I ever hope to be is because of what he did for me on a cross. The Bible says don't eat this bread if that's not true. Don't drink this cup because you hate to offend the person next to you. Better to cause the person next to you to wonder than have God to know you did something that was wrong. It's not my table. I've told you this every time we've had this. I, I can only invite you to hear. But like Moses, who was not allowed to go on into the land of promise, I can't take you to the table. I can invite you. 
But from this point forward, it's every man for himself. Because each of us has to examine our own heart, our own confession, our own relationship, and determine, am I truly what I'm about to say I am through this cup and this bread? Jesus said, if you don't eat my flesh, oh my, you don't belong to me. If you don't drink my blood, you're not mine. But the caution is, be really sure that eating and drinking it is the indication that you've already trusted Jesus as the Son of God and your Savior. Pray with me. Fathers, we consider the rich meaning of bread throughout history. We marvel that Jesus took bread. He could have used so many symbols. But the amazing thing is Jesus loved to take that which was most common and make it eternally significant, true with bread. Of all the things he could have said, now you need to do this to show you love me and that you honor me and remember me. He didn't mention any of the things that we've so often done in Jesus' name. Not that they're wrong, but that's not what he asked for. Lord Jesus, what you asked for was the simplicity of when you eat this bread at this table, would you at least remember me? Dear Jesus, please, no matter what's on our mind or our hearts or our schedules, help us to do at least that much. And then you said, when you drink this cup, would you do it in remembrance of me? Lord Jesus, forgive us if our mind's anywhere else other than on you. When we think about all that you gave that we could be here, how can we think of any other? So I pray this morning as the deacons come and we begin to take in our hands this wafer, we'll be mindful what it represents, the very body and flesh of Jesus on whom the sins of the whole world were placed. And when we take that cup, may we be mindful that blood's not just any blood. It's not just any juice. It's not the symbol of just any transfusion. It's the symbol of the blood of God that flowed through Emmanuel's veins to make clean all who are washed in that fountain. Today we thank you for what you have done. We praise you for what you're about to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Deacons, would you make your way forward, please? Pray with me. Lord God, you made us of flesh. You know that very well. You knit us together in our mother's womb. You created Adam, and from his side you made Eve. Every human being that's ever been was created by the Almighty. So therefore you know that though you made us in your image, we have wandered so often from you. And many times when we hear the word flesh, we don't think of that which is spiritual. We think of biblical connotations of that which is carnal. And we can relate to that well. We care for our flesh. We feed it and bathe it. And we want nutrients to make it strong. We exercise it. We, we decorate it with all kinds of makeup and other things to try to make it look as good as we possibly can. But Jesus came to offer his flesh for a different reason. Because as the Lamb of God, it was his flesh that would take upon himself the sins of the whole world as if he was the worst ever when he was the best ever. No greater love has ever been offered than for a man who's sinless to die as though he was a wretch. To be treated with such contempt by both men and by the anger of God on the cross that even the world marvels, how could that be? Today we hold in our hand a small piece of unleavened bread that which is represent, represents that which is sinless, that which is pure, 
that which was what you said is the body represents the body and the flesh of yourself and so we do not eat this lightly and our memories right now are not shallow they're as deep as we can go into the pools of the grace of God thanking you for your mercy in Jesus name Amen after dinner Jesus took a loaf of unleavened bread and he broke it he began to give it to his disciples he said this this is my body offered for you do this in remembrance of me would you pray with me Father, there's no way biblical writers understood the magnificent qualities of blood except to say life is in the blood. That's true. They didn't understand about red cells and white cells and plasma and all those different component parts. But they knew that when blood was shed and enough of it was gone from a body, the body died. So they had wisdom enough to realize life is found in the blood. That's both true in physical life, but absolutely true in spiritual life. For without the shedding of blood of Jesus Christ, there was no remission, no covering for our sins. It's by his precious blood that our sins were cleansed and washed from us. And it's by the blood that we were given life, true life, eternal life, abundant with God. We only hold a little bit of juice in the cup, but goodness, the magnificence of what this cup represents is overwhelming. Jesus said it's a new covenant written in my blood. He taught us that it was by the shedding of blood that we would be made the children of God. We thank you today for the blood. And we know how much we guard our own. We don't like to even have a cut, much less a serious wound. And yet by the wounds of the Lamb of God, blood flowed freely for man's sin had been rampant. And that free-flowing blood of Jesus symbolically and effectively and in reality cleanse the sins of all who believe today we drink this cup with gratitude Jesus you paid it all for us I pray our lives reflect your glory in Jesus name Amen after dinner Jesus took the cup and he first drank from it and then he gave it to his disciples he said this cup is the New Testament in my blood Do this as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me.